Yeah, you guys can hear me? Okay, let's start on time. Uh, hi everyone, thanks for joining me today. Excited to talk a little bit about how to grow effective work uh, beyond EA. And I'm from Give Directly. Uh, we saw a lot of growth uh, during COVID and a lot of that work was not directly from uh, EA uh, donors and organizations. And so we sort of grew a lot there and I wanted to share some of the lessons there and talk to folks a little bit uh, about how they could apply it to their org. But uh, just to check, how many folks work currently at an organization that's EA aligned? Raise of hands, okay. A number of folks, cool. And I assume you raise money for those orgs or talk about the work you do, so this will be helpful for you. And other folks, maybe this will be helpful as you move forward. Cool, so I wanna give you five sort of tactics that you can add to your toolbox uh, as you think about uh, how to better sort of communicate our work beyond sort of uh, this, this broader room. Uh, but first I wanna give sort of a crash course on cash and give directly, I promise this will be like three to five minutes, but I think it's important context. How many people like know of give directly? Okay, great. Yeah, that's okay. This will be, I'll go really fast then. Um, <laughs> tell me just to go faster. Uh, give directly sends cash to people living in extreme poverty with no strings attached. And to date, we've reached over 1.5 million recipients, and that's about $670 million of cash delivered into the hands of recipients after costs. And we've worked with a number of uh, large partners here, um, and this might seem like a lot of impact and a lot of money, and it, it is at an individual level, but I want to talk about how much opportunity there is at a sector level today. Uh, there's sort of two problems, though, that we're working on. Uh, one is that we still have 650 million people living in extreme poverty today. Uh, that's below the 215 World Bank number. And this is caused, of course, because uh, there's a lot of inequality. You can sort of see that uh, juxtaposition here. Uh, but living in extreme poverty, I think, is, is particularly difficult for people to understand in, in this room, at least for me. Um, but really, it's a place where you're having to make impossible choices between health, between uh, shelter, between uh, food, between education, uh, and everyone's situation is very unique. And so I think that's one of the, the big challenges. The other challenge is that even though we probably all can agree that we should be giving more to these causes, uh, we are giving a lot globally already, and a lot of that is pretty ineffective, right? And so this is sort of the existing model for most organizations. You have the donor on the left, and they give to an international NGO that then gives to the local version of that NGO. And then there might be a local implementation partner. And then the actual intervention, be it health or uh, housing or agriculture, then it gets to the recipient on the other end. And one of the problems here is uh, most of the decision-making power in this model is on the left-hand side with the donor. And as you move down, there's less and less agency in decision-making. And so the GiveDirectly model, oops, if I can go to the next slide, GiveDirectly model uh, uses mobile money to send cash directly to recipients. So we take out all those intermediary steps. Uh, and the recipient chooses how they want to spend the cash. Basically the idea being that everyone's situation is very unique, and so some people might want to send their kids to school, some people might want to buy a mattress, some people might want to start an entrepreneurship, uh, maybe a taxi business or uh, buy a tractor for their farm. There's a number of things that they can do. And mobile money is today accessible to over 1.2 billion registered accounts. And so we already have the pipes to send a lot of this uh, funding 
and empower the recipients to make the choice of what is best for them. Uh, and we are positioning ourselves as the market leader in sort of direct giving for, for individuals. Uh, here are some of the countries we're operating in today. Uh, and in 2022, we delivered over 115 million alone. Um, and so that's a little bit of the impact of GiveDirectly. And of course, I think to this room, this will be interesting. Cash has one of the largest evidence bases uh, for anti-poverty tools that we have. So over 300 high quality uh, studies and a number of indicators, here are some of them, uh, food consumption up, employment outcomes, school attendance, health services, uh, decreases in things like child mortality, birth, uh, low birth weight, illness, and we see this 2.5x multiplier, which basically means if you put a dollar into the economy, you're going to see uh, 2.5x return in the broader community. Basically, the people who are not receiving funds are also benefiting. Um, if I give you money, you build a house and you employ your neighbor uh, to construct the house, your neighbor is also benefiting. So there's an economic multiplier there. Uh, so that's a little bit on GiveDirectly and I'll now pivot a little bit to talking about uh, cash and how we sort of changed communications. This is a great headline from 2013. Is it nuts to give to the poor without strings attached in the New York Times Magazine? Um, I mean, people were really, really against this idea of giving cash. There were these concerns that people would uh, waste the money, that they would uh, spend it on temptation goods like uh, alcohol or drugs. Um, and the research showed uh, that this was not true, but uh, not everyone is so rational to just sort of blindly follow the research. And so I'll talk a little bit about how we can uh, get people on board who are maybe not uh, reading all the papers, because I don't think everyone's reading the papers. And so where are we today? Cash is sort of becoming the default way to empower those who want to make their own choices. GiveWell uses cash as sort of the benchmark for comparing their cost effectiveness. And we're seeing this type of benchmarking in other places as well. There is a Vox article that came out last week on uh, some of the work that USAID, the largest um, international funder and the US government, um, is doing on benchmarking their existing programs to cash to see which are more cost effective on outcomes. Say you want, you care about uh, employment and you have a training program, basically saying that training program costs $500. If you just gave someone $500 and you measure the same outcomes uh, for entrepreneurship, which is going to outperform? And uh, if cash outperforms your program, you should either probably fix your program, make it better, uh, or you should, uh, just give them cash. And I wanted to show this video very quickly from last week as well of Oprah and The Rock uh, who set up this cash program for uh, uh, Hawaii because this is very different than the New York Times article headline you saw 10 years ago. So I'll quickly play this and there's a lot of uh, talking points that I think uh, I would also say uh, as a Give Directly representative. So I'll quickly, quickly play this sort of uh, fun clip. And I will pause it because you're not getting the audio. How do I pause it? You are getting a text. Is, a, is this going to be easy to fix or impossible to fix? It's nothing you have control over. Um, I guess I'm the first person to do audio today. I think we just keep going and they can read the text. I think, just a second. 
It is plugged in. There's no volume control. The channel is open, so... Can you? Hello. It's just playing off here. You can just read the thing, and I'll end it early. What organization should I send money to? How can I help? Uh, in this case, the fund that we created with a lot of hard work from a lot of hardworking people yeah. who all care about these people of, of Maui. Uh, Into donation, that money is going to go to one of many residents who have been displaced in Maui. We guarantee. That's right. And I know a lot of people out there, as Oprah and I have been finding, are just uh, having a hard time trusting where the money goes, what organizations should I send money to, how can I help. Uh, in this case, the fund that we created with a lot of hard work from a lot of hardworking people yeah. who all care about these people of, of Maui, uh, as Oprah was saying, it is a clean, direct, from you, directly to their hands, and right away with some real immediacy, because as we're finding, as you guys around the world know, with disasters like this, the number one need is money. Is money. Is money. In hand. And, and so people being that. able to have their own agency, being able yes. to make decisions for themselves about what they need and what their family needs, that's our goal, is to get that to the people now. Uh, no, that wasn't what you wanted, was it? Oh, come on, Harris. Uh, this is good enough, right? You guys still can see it. I don't want to waste your time on me trying to get the slides figured out perfectly. No, we've heard enough from Oprah. That money is going to no go more, to... Oprah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then just click slideshow. Thank you. I was worried it was going to go to the front. Yeah, just one more time away and from... No more know. Oprah. He's got enough Oprah. Uh, and so I think... Pretty big difference between the New York Times headline you saw and what we just saw last week. Um, we cannot uh, give directly take credit for that. There's a lot of people doing cash and I think a lot of uh, things that have happened. COVID in particular though, I think showed the value of cash. And so the question that I wanna bring you guys today as we pivot from about give directly to sort of communications and EA orgs is how do you get from super geeks to superstars? Because I think uh, give directly and myself, I, I identify with the, the super geek, just not making fun of super geeks. Uh, but I do think we need sort of the superstar messaging if we want to have impact at a global scale. And so I'll walk you through some of the things that we've done at Give Directly that felt like really hard choices, but I think we've learned along the way, and I want to share those with you. Uh, my hint is that it will not always be with slides that look like this. I was pulling slides for this presentation and uh, someone used this slide a few weeks ago at a, at a talk with a research team at a top for-profit org. Um, and this is very interesting, but this is a small segment of people who care. Uh, and so I worry about excluding people who care about this, but I also worry about only focusing on this. And so I'll talk a little bit about that here. So if we want to build a bigger tent, we're going to need a lot of different type of people and I'm gonna quickly walk you through this sort of model which is called Crossing the Chasm from this book by uh, Moore. Anyone familiar with this if you took like a marketing class? One person, two, okay, cool, cool. So I'll, this will be good for some people. Basically it says that uh, early market, you're going to get these innovators and early adopters 
And then you have this chasm when you move between like sort of the enthusiasts and the mainstream market. And then you have early majority, late majority, and laggards. Uh, and this is the hardest part for any organization, for-profit or non-profit, uh, because the, the sort of hard truth is it's easy to get the innovators, and it's pretty easy to get the early adopters because they will try anything. And I think uh, many people in this room might identify as innovators, like people who are like trying to find the next thing, who are like researching new products, who are like thinking really hard about like what's the best decision, how am I sort of optimizing this? Does that resonate with people? People are like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I see some heads nodding. Okay, so my concern is that like effective altruism, very aligned with this, not very aligned with this, uh, and this is sort of where there's a lot of money and like impact and like this is the place that we need to be going and how do we do that uh, without uh, losing the, the, the sort of enthusiast part. So I'll talk a little bit about what we've done at Give Directly. And I'll say that this is terrifying to do because you will lose some of these people, um, mostly because they're moving on to the new thing. Like there's just new stuff that they need to find. Um, there will be something after like AI risk and like the AI risk people will move to like the new thing. Um, hopefully there's a thing after AI risk. It's possible there's nothing after it. <laughs> um, so it really matters uh, if we care about scale because today's impact, and I can use GiveDirectly as an example, is like at the millions level. And I could imagine a world where GiveDirectly grows, it becomes, let's say, uh, hopefully one of the top 10 nonprofits in the international space. And then we're talking about like billions of dollars of scale. But real systemic change is hundreds of billions of dollars in this space. I mean, we have $178 billion a year in development assistance. U.S. giving's almost $500 billion a year. There's like a lot of money past the innovator side of things, and a lot of that is in institutions and in governments. Um, and so the question is, how do we get more people on board? How do we build a bigger tent? And not only focus on optimizing this, this tiny red dot, let's not spend all our time optimizing the tiny red dot. Let's focus on you know, impact at scale, but let's also think about how we have uh, sector change, because I think that's where there's really impact at a scale, which is hard to understand. And so I want to walk you through sort of five strategies that we've used at Give Directly as we cross the chasm. I don't think we're fully there yet. And I'll sort of walk you through these. Hopefully they're helpful. The first is we're trying to position Give Directly as a on-ramp to EA, uh, not sort of the final destination. And I think we used to think about it the other way, where people would learn about effective altruism, they would uh, make their giving decision, and then they would choose Give Directly. That was sort of the journey. And now we're thinking about how can we use Give Directly to bring more people on to some of the ideas of effective altruism and sort of use it as an on-ramp. Unfortunately, the meme is an off-ramp, but you, you just gotta work with me on this. Um, and so that's one of the questions we're having is, is how can we bring more people on board early uh, who have maybe less, um, less time to dig into all of sort of the thinking and then how can we introduce them to more of these concepts? And so previously, uh, we were really bad at this. We were a techno-wonk messaging org. I mean, we were founded by four PhDs from MIT and Harvard, and so that's what our website, that's what our communication sounded like. And we struggled with a few things. It was not accessible at all. It was very complex. It was not simple. It was hard to understand. You had to really sit down. 
The second thing was it came off as a little bit elite, and that is not particularly uh, welcoming to broad groups of people. Uh, I think we were overly rationally emphasizing the work. This is not how everyone makes decisions. You, we may, you may think that's fine, you may think that it's not fine, but I think it's sort of the reality we, of the world we live in. Um, and the last is, unfortunately, I think it's a limited mainstream appeal. Uh, and so how do you do both is, is the challenge we're working with here. And part of this is sort of flipping the script where we assume people come in without any of the EA thinking and sort of uh, try to convert them to donors and then educate them on some of those things. That's the thinking on why we've worked in the US, for example, uh, which is we can get people to give to the US, people wanna give to the US, that's money that wouldn't otherwise go somewhere else, but then can we try to educate them and convert them on the impact of that dollar internationally because uh, it's just uh, going to be totally different from an impact perspective. The second thing we did is we really spent a lot of time clarifying our message, uh, realizing people are not reading, they're just skimming, here's some tips. Uh, that you can use in your comms. I will feel free to take a screenshot of all of these things. Uh, but really, what is the one thing you care about? We spend a lot of time talking about this as a, a growth and comms team. Everyone's reading uh, these three books. I put them here. Uh, Made to Stick, Dan Heath is a, I don't know if he would call himself an effective altruist, but he was on the GiveWell board uh, for a number of years, and you'll see his quotes there. So his work is great. Um, and he also will tell you that, that data is important, but it's not the only way to tell a compelling story that, that people remember. I won't read these to you guys, right? That's not a good use of your time. Yes, I saw a thumbs up, we'll keep going. Uh, the, last, the third thing is multiplying sort of acquisition sources, and I think this has been very key for us. Um, particularly, a lot of orgs are struggling right now with uh, donations because of the economic situation that we find ourselves in. And the more acquisition sources you have, uh, the less painful that will be. And so I just wanted to share with you some of the things that have worked for GiveDirectly on the left and some of the things that you might see us continuing to try uh, going back to, but things that we've tried and we've really struggled to see the ROI on. And so if you want to screenshot this one as well or talk to me about it later, I'm happy to do that. Uh, but there's, there's some things on the left that I would say good use of your time, some things on the right, bad use of your time. But you should test it. Uh, the fourth one is segmenting your comms. And so the first thing is sort of determining your preferences. And so we're trying to do this now where we're trying to understand who are the people who are more EA aligned and who are the people who are less EA aligned and how do we send them different communications. Um, you can do that by letting people opt in. You can just ask them in a survey. Uh, you also can sort of look at acquisition sources. If someone donates uh, 100 euros and they tell us that they came from the EA forum feel pretty confident that person is maybe EA aligned. We can send them comms that are more related. Second thing is just sort of using progressive disclosure. How can you let people continue to dig and dig and dig and dig until they find what they want, but not overwhelm them? Sort of continually have levels of more and more detail. And then third is uh, sort of segmenting out those comms. So once you've determined the preferences, sending out sort of your push comms, emails, SMS, uh, talks to different audiences, uh, so you're not you're hitting sort of similar talking points, but through a different narrative. Uh, and the last thing which we were sort of terrified about is like becoming picture people. There was a time when like the Give Directly website had no photos, and we went on a real journey of 
thinking about this, not only from uh, what, is, what does it mean from a persuasion perspective, but how do we do this in a dignified and respectful way. My advice here is don't be afraid to move a little bit to the left. We thought all the numbers people would like have torches and be like breaking down the door and burning, burning, you know, pitchforks. Uh, it, it was fine, and I'll share some of those quotes in a moment. Uh, I want to share what that looks like. Here's an A-B test that we recently ran. We updated our homepage, added a lot more images, uh, made it quite a bit more uh, descriptive, used more visuals, uh, sort of did a number of things to try to reduce the friction to conversion. And we saw a 34% lift in conversion rate, which is pretty impactful, uh, which was exciting. And you can also see we've received a number of quotes. We see this sometimes when we send emails as well. We'll do like, we'll talk about the research and then we'll share a few examples from the program of individual stories. And folks will say, I really like this. I'm not convinced by the stories and images, but I found it helpful to sort of understand the entire story. Uh, and then the last thing is just illustrating impact. Um, show don't tell how a donation can be transformative. And we're trying to do this in three ways. One is we're doing these individual impact reports which can show the sort of incrementality of your donation. When we talk about incrementality, we think about uh, if you had not given your gift, how would the world be different? Um, because sometimes with these big, big numbers, it's easy to lose sight that a small $100 donation can really be transformative. Second is just making sure that the content is contextually relevant. So we've done a number of things, including trying to make sure we're explaining uh, the impact on recipients of things like the Ukraine war on the food crisis, drought, climate disaster, et cetera. And then before after stories with either video or image, I think has been a good way of really showing how transformative that gift can be. So another example of a, a fundraiser we ran with a, with a podcast and we did a specific village, and so then you're able to do sort of before-after comms, and it's very specific where the funding is going. We saw a 72% conversion lift versus just when we've used uh, fundraising pages, and it's like give to give directly. Here's something about recipients. So something about sort of that specificity here. I love this quote that came from this fundraiser. We just ran this a few weeks ago. Our six-year-old son donated $50 of his own money because he felt every child should be able to go to school. We get quite a few children who write in, actually, or like their parents write in, that they wanted to give their like allowance money. Uh, I don't think those children are convinced by the research. And so like that's another group. And I think there is a good April Fool's joke on like EA um, uh, preschool. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, but like this is a cohort of people that donate. They don't donate a lot, but like they're out there, and uh, I don't think we we should necessarily exclude them. And so that's the chat. Um, if you guys have more questions for me, my email's here. Don't forget the period. Uh, I want to see how much time we have. I'm happy to take. Yeah, we've got seven minutes if people have questions. But hopefully, it's sort of helpful. I think this was a very terrifying journey for us to go on. It seems sort of simple. Uh, but when we went through it, we were very afraid that we were, you know, going to marginalize our existing donors or not be respectful or lose our very evidence and research-based background. And it was more of just a pivot of how we, we tell that narrative. So if folks have questions, happy to take them. If folks need to run out, I won't be offended. So thanks. Yeah, in the front. What are the current bottlenecks you're trying to resolve right now? Like on fundraising or operations or organizationally? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so the question is what are the bottlenecks on funding? I think we are in a place where funding is the bottleneck. And so uh, we sort of alternate between having operational bottlenecks and fundraising bottlenecks. If you look at the last 10 years, it's like we have a lot of operational capacity to move cash. Then COVID happened, we had a backlog, we had to move like hundreds of millions of dollars, scale up, et cetera. I think the bottleneck we're seeing right now is that we've, we've proven, and uh, the, the GE, the General Equilibrium Study in Kenya has shown the impact at a village level. There's really positive village levels. We'd love to do it at a county or even like a national level to look at what a national level cash transfer program would cost. But to do that, I mean, we're talking billion, you know, over a billion dollars. And so like that, that is definitely a bottleneck. Uh, we can go sort of slowly towards that and, and work our way through a country potentially. But I think if we did have a, a very large set of donations like that, it would be really interesting to see what would happen next. And so uh, when we think about bottlenecks, of course, that's uh, part of it. I think the other thing fundraising wise is uh, trying to break into some of the rapid response work related to disasters, because that's another set of funding. Like we think about these sets of funding as different buckets and we find that donors allocate them separately in their heads. Even really EA donors, they say, yeah, I also give to my animal shelter. Uh, I also give like locally, I know it's not the best use of my dollar, but I live here. And so like I volunteer in the soup kitchen and I also donate to this other program. And so there's a separate set of funds uh, that folks have for international disasters and sort of breaking into that space as well. Um, another question, potentially? Yeah, also in front. Can you say something about institutional fundraising outside of EA Yeah, can I say something about institutional funding outside of EA organizations? I can. I think I did a bad job of introducing myself. I work on the individuals team, so I don't work with institutional partners, but we do have a large uh, partnerships team at GiveDirectly. And uh, this is where most of the money is. Like, if you really want to make big sector change, uh, you need to get the big government partners and work with governments to be able to uh, create that change. And so it's something we're working on at GiveDirectly is building that up. It was not initially our main source of revenue or even a source we were spending a lot of uh, effort on. And part of the reason is it takes a really long time and it's more expensive. It's less effective when you look at like how much money, because there's more finance costs, there's more compliance costs, there's longer time to get those applications. And so it takes a lot of time to set up, but once you start building those relationships, there's a lot of money there. And a lot of that money is, is questionable levels of effectiveness. There's a lot of variance in, in those programs. Um, so it's a big opportunity, but it, it also takes a big investment and you have to be able to wait you know, five plus years probably to really start seeing some of those relationships take off. Uh, I wanna make sure I don't go over on time because there's another talk. Someone kick me off. I have two minutes, so maybe one more question if the next speaker wants to set up the slides, come for it. If no other questions, you guys can get to your next one. All right, thanks so much guys, I appreciate it and uh, have a great rest of the day.